This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner of the Dendros Group. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I express are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. And I'm Don Eubanks, Associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. I'm Halili, owner of the other media group, VP of Programming at Ampers and Counter Stories producer. Thank you all. And, and we want to say a hearty thank you to Cindy Morales Garcia, who joined us as Luz was on vacation. Luz, you're back with us today, but we were thankful to Cindy, who held it down. And she even hosted one of the shows in your stead, and she did a really good job. So we got to definitely have Cindy back in the mix. Um, so thank you, Cindy, for joining us. Y'all, it's that time of the year. Now, let me let me get us off the hook for a whole bunch of different things so that we can have the conversation we want to have today. <laughs> when we say that it's that time of year, you know, in the United States, for some of our international listeners, um, there is a convergence of several holidays, some created by us, some that have go back a long ways, and some, I'm speaking in the Christian sense, where we choose and have moved some of our important holiday events to coincide with a certain season for all kinds of different reasons. But whatever the reason, you have time off during this winter season, whether it's a religious holiday, whether it's your own taking end of the year personal time, whether you celebrate the solstice, whatever it is, we all end up with the opportunity some Well, not all, but many of us end up with the opportunity to take time off during this quote-unquote holiday season. Um, and that comes with gatherings, that comes with getting together, and uh, a whole lot of different things. And so one of the things that we wanted to do is to have a conversation. One, I want to know what y'all do with some of this holiday time. What are some of the traditions that you've kept up with? I know, COVID aside, what are the things that we do to gather together? Are there things that come up? And I'm particularly, and I'm going to say this and keep this 100, and y'all can push back on me, but I'm particularly interested in the things you do uh, culturally with your community of folks that often leaves you in a space of, if a white person was there, would have to explain a little something. <laughs> okay? I'm going to go ahead and say it. Um, there are a lot of things that we do that are, quote-unquote, big C culture in the United States that a lot of folks tap into, but I'm really interested on the things that you do that are a cultural root and home to you that may not be easily understandable from somebody outside of your cultural context. I mean, for us right now, we just celebrated Hmong New Year, and it's back after the pandemic, and so everybody and their mama was there. It was like, packed. Was it, packed? <laughs> it was packed. Um, and it's something I've, t I've taken my husband to before, you know, just explain the different traditions. People think, you know, the beauty pageant is so old school and stuff like that, but it's still really popular. And um, this year they added, what is that game? The beanbag game? Oh, cornhole. Cornhole. So there's like a whole cornhole thing at the new year this year because Hmong men love it. They just love cornhole. And so Yo, they, when I'm at Maplewood Mall, <laughs> when I'm at Maplewood Mall, and they put out the cornhole space and in in the downstairs lower area, <laughs> y'all man, there was mum bro mum brothers all over just just having a good old time. Okay, so I'm gonna need you to explain it. Oh. Explain okay. it. I'm, I I it's, it's I those, need you to explain it. It's those wood <laughs> ramp things that you put opposite each other, and there's a little hole, and you toss the bean bags, and if you if it lands on the board, it's a point. If it goes in, 
it's it's more points and then you kind of divvy it up and it, you it, can it, offset I always each other a, if you get your yep. be, your beanbag on and they have a beanbag on then it's zero points so it's a variation of a traditional bean toss game is that what i'm hearing like the bean toss that you normally would see when you're in a family backyard gathering or something so it's a variation yeah. of that it's in the vein of it's oh, in yeah. the vein of horseshoes, lawn darts, all those okay. kinds of things. I, it. I consider okay. it a very Midwestern thing, but I, it's starting to take off. I think so, There's actually too. a tournament. There are real tournaments. I, I saw oh, yeah. a beanbag toss on one of the sports channels. Yeah, so, my husband watches it. He watched the beanbag <laughs> tournament because he okay. and my brother-in-laws and my brothers, they can play that game for 10 hours. Like, give them a case of beer and leave them outside, and, and they're good. Hey. Um, so, I, you know, I, I wasn't super surprised that it was incorporated into the Hmong New Year this year. Well, that's not one of the cultural things that we we do in our community, <laughs> but it is— Shocking, Don. It, that's shocking. It, <laughs> it, is, um, it is a cultural thing. When you attend um, tailgates at mm-hmm. Iowa Hawkeye football games, mm-hmm. oh yeah, mm-hmm. I could see everyone I could see is is, and I never knew what the name of it was. I you know all they all I know is they drank beer and threw these bean bags at that hole, and I, <laughs> I I couldn't you know other than doing lawn darts, but um, so yeah, so now I know what it's I've, called. I learned it from white folks, and so that's one of those oh, yeah, things I'm too. starting to see pop into. Um, cultural spaces beyond. So, hey, you know, there's a cultural exchange this to it that, hey, mm-hmm. that's the kind of cultural exchange I can get with. And I was, I mean, I wasn't surprised they incorporated into the year, but I also was because a lot of the times the New Year planning committee is like older Hmong folks. Mm. Um, but for them to recognize that this was something that would have been exciting for people, although it was like just so packed. Um, so we did, you know, that was over Thanksgiving weekend, and we do it usually over Thanksgiving weekend because people are in town, right? People mm-hmm. are visiting their family for Thanksgiving, um, and so people have more time to do this sort of things. We have a, a new year that we do with just within our family and within our Lee clan, and so those are all separate mm-hmm. too. And we just did the one for our family, and every year there's like, you know— um, blessings like egg blessings so everyone gets a boiled egg and you have to eat it because it's your blessing and so we I tell my nieces and nephews because I have one nephew who hates eggs I said once a year you have to eat an egg just once a year because you want that luck for the next year does it have to be a real egg or can it be like a a, a proxy because sometimes no, in some of our culture got, traditions it's an spaces, egg we... egg okay it okay. has to be an right. egg yeah. <laughs> can I ask? Can I ask you a question, Haley? On yeah. the being, t- you mentioned that all the guys were down there, and then you know your guy cousins and and your husband. Are women doing this at all? Are women engaged? I mean, because I'm thinking about gender issues here, right? Is there mm-hmm. parity there or no? It's very much. I mean, sometimes we'll do like couple against couple kind of games, um, but it's very much like a boy bonding thing. Um, in my opinion, I mean, within my family, at least, because sometimes my husband, Jim, being so much older than everybody else would feel like weird hanging out with my brother-in-laws. But once they started playing this game, like they've gotten to know each other so much better. They've talked about things outside of just sports, which is nice, you know, and so and they're out of our hair because then we're inside doing whatever we want. 
um, while they're outside <laughs> playing that, and they're, they're perfectly content, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I haven't really thought of that in that way, Luz. I just thought, yeah. you know, some reason men are more drawn to this quote-unquote sport. Yeah. I guess what? for me, you know, I grew up with two older brothers, and I was of the mon- mindset that, and still I am, anything that they can do, I can do, and I can do mm-hmm. better, probably. <laughs> You know, in my own mind, not always accurate, but I, you know, I'm down for the fight. So that's what was going through my mind when you were, you know, painting the picture you and Anthony were were describing. It's like, okay, what about the women? You know, where the, you know, what are we doing, and and where do we stand in all this stuff? Yeah, I mean, with this this season, not you know, this time of year, it's really hard for our elders to leave their homes. And so it's a, it's a lonely time for a lot of our elders. Like my grandmother is calling me more often than she usually do, does, just asking for visits because she like she won't even step outside. And so it's it's really you know during this time I feel sad as well as like happy that we're doing all these different celebrations. Um, but I see this time of year as kind of a barrier to a lot of especially our older folks in being social and participating in our cultural events. You know, one of the things that's been true for us is for every day, again, is capitalizing on this time. So we know that people celebrate many different types of things during this season, but one of the central things is using this as a chance to get together because there's an expectation of some kind of time off. Um, not to, you know, in, in addition to the actual holidays that we get to take off and then use to go and travel and be with family. Um, again, COVID considerations have made this wonky in the last couple of years, but, but this year there are folks who are really excited to get together and it's sparking a conversation about, you know, what are the things we either used to do or that we're excited about doing coming forward and which things, quite frankly, can we actually get rid of? Um, we have began to do away with the traditional quote unquote food items that you would have around this this time to fit into a mainstream culture. And there's a lot more more um there's a lot greater willingness to go back and recapture some cultural assets that we may we may have not done in a while. Like for example, there's our this year there's a whole lot of talk about watch night service. Um, which is something that we that African Americans in the United States uh, have done since uh, the Emancipation Proclamation to um, watch and 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 as a tradition to pay attention to what policies, what things are coming in the new year. Um, there's folks who are actually starting to to talk about what are we going to do for Watch Night, um, and that's something that I haven't heard a robust conversation about in a long time. So there's some things like that that are coming forward too. I'm curious what other things are y'all are thinking about around the docket this year during this, in a big air quotes, season. <laughs> I think about, Anthony, I, I'm, I'm happy that you uh, framed it the way you did with regard to gathering and culture and, and making sure that we keep our culture front and center and our practices. I, I, in addition to what your statements were in terms of taking time off, I think there's also an intentionality aspect that we are more intentional during this period of time to spend more time with family, right? Uh, We can easily kind of um, think of reasons why we can't otherwise during the year, but we make more of an intentional effort to spend more quality time with our families during this, this month. And I'm speaking for myself and personally, but then generally speaking in our Latinx uh, community, 
I also think about how so much of our traditional food, because food is uh, uh, one of those elements in, in our in our lives that bring people together, right? Uh, I think about tamales, you know, I'll say it in English, tamales, uh, where um, <laughs> it is <laughs> it is a family uh, event to make tamales. And I'll say this, um, it's very time consuming to make tamales. You have to, uh, you have the corn husks that you have to first soften, and then each of them have to individually be um You've got to have the masa, the base of the mm -hmm. cornmeal that wraps around, and then you have uh, the fillings, and then you've got to then uh, roll it back up. And then depending on the type of tamal, you typically will make some kind of denotation with how you tie it or whether you tie mm. it or not. So you would have a distinction between a tamal that is either filled with beef versus chicken versus vegetarian, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, so because it's so time consuming and labor intensive, we make a lot at one time. So it's mm. not unusual for a family to make 10, 15 dozen tamales. So we're talking exponentially over 120, 150, up to 200 tamales. And then people just, you, you divvy up, right? Everybody who right. showed up for the assembly line, the six or eight people that, that showed up, then you distribute that. But that's the Mexican tamal. We also have tamales in other Latino countries, right? So it's not mm -hmm. just Mexico. You know, Guatemala does completely different. You know, we've got other countries in our diaspora that, that have it very differently. And then we also, there's a really big emphasis on mole. Um, mm -hmm. And mole, you can make traditionally with chicken, as a base or turkey, uh, and that mole really is Mexican, but there are other types of moles in, in other countries as well in terms of the the base for it and and whether it's spicy or not and how it's how it shows up right and how you use it in, in your food. Um, and then there's also the joy of things that that are in fact, related and, and associated with the holiday, with Christmas in particular, there's Rosca de Reyes, which is basically a Christmas cake. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, a lot of these mainstream stores are now carrying Roscas de Reyes, which is really? shocking. Yeah. Uh, I read somewhere that someone, I think in California, found a Rosca de Reyes in Costco, which blew my mind. I thought, <laughs> when is that happening? Um, so it's interesting. Uh, and then there's also what we call buñuelos, which... In Mexico, are more of a, a pastry uh, that you would find at a bakery, but buñuelos in other uh, Latino countries show up differently. So the beauty mm -hmm. of all this is what I, I want to just tie together is that there's so much to our various cultures within our extended diaspora here that we've begun to really not only keep, you know, and hold dear to our hearts, um, but also the manifestations of it and, and the iterations of it that we get to then learn from other Latino countries that are celebrating similar, but yet different, you know, and being able then to learn, but also enjoy and broaden our, our uh, experiences. Um, and then the last one that, that I'll, I'll 
just share really quickly is a drink called Coquito, C-O-Q-U-I-T-O, which is really a Puerto Rican, uh, it has Puerto Rican origins, but now Coquito, you can go to most of these, you know, Latino families and like, yeah, get us Coquito. You want some Coquito, you know, uh, it's rum based and it's, it's really delicious. And being able then to have that, um, drink that beverage, uh, a cocktail more, <laughs> more than anything, is fun, right? So all of my comments really surround around uh, food because it, it really is a unifier. But then there's also, you know, the the other practices that we would have in terms of just gathering and, and listening to music, you know, and and being able to play games. We play uh, la loteria, the lottery. There's a certain uh, board that comes with us, you know, and, and they're very traditional characters uh, in that loteria. And we play it with beans. You know, you just uh, use beans, dry beans as a marker for your loteria cards, you know, your lottery cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kids love it. Older folks. I mean, it, it just is good for everybody. Right. And and it's a unifying event uh, that we all partake in that really solidifies our cultural identity, preserves it, and continues it for generations to come. Well, see, those in all of those examples, what I love about it, because somebody could hear it and go, oh, you just do that thing. But but all of those come with stories. Um, all of it come with with ways that folks share together. Um, uh, I also have a, have a wondering about the, the gender pieces of the tomale making as well. Um, I'm curious about that because I've been kicked out of quite a few um, tomale lines to go and hang out with the fellas. And so I was trying to figure, I'm wondering if that was just my experience or something else. But um, what's great about it is all of the stuff that happens around it, like in those interactions, all these stories, I can think of like a, a connection for my family is when we're shucking greens. When it's yeah. time to get them greens, especially if you got a whole bunch of bunches, that assembly line comes all the way up. Everybody got their bags. You got a runner who's going to dump the stems and put it and come back. Uh, you got the different types of greens, and then and before they get to cooking, instant pots are kind of messing with this a little bit because you can do it so much faster than 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 we used to be able to 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 the chagrin of some folks. But but one thing that really stood out was all of the amazing things that happened that I've seen happen in my family when that coquito comes around, uh, that Puerto Rican eggnog uh, mm-hmm. comes in there. Because um, if Uncle Sonny's doing the pouring, it's about to be a... It, it, folks is about to have conversations they have not had in a long time. There's about to be some... We used, I use the term, come to Jesus moments when when that gets uh, flowing because folks get loose and and tr- and people start dropping truth bombs with very little finesse. And... <laughs> We, 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 I remember growing up <laughs> getting to that point to see it starting to spread that there's a time when folks would have their little sip, but there became a point at the night where something shifted and things were going to get handled. And mm-hmm. that's when we got real, that's when the kids anyway, began to get our snacks together because it's going down somewhere, some shape or form. And not necessarily because folks, let me, I, I want to be clear. It wasn't necessarily because folks got inebriated, right? Although that that has led to some conversations. I'm talking more so about the fact that there's a point in the gathering for which we've done, we've gotten past the greeting. We've gotten past the catching up. And now we just in the space together and all the old stories and experiences start flowing. And those are the times that I wait for because now 
folks are done with the pleasantries. And now we're about to get to the nitty gritty of some experiences. Some of them are going to be hilarious. Sometimes hilarious stories start getting thrown out. Sometimes old beasts start to get come and come through and need to get handled, in which case those can be very hilarious and stressful and all those things too. And then there's a point when the songs start breaking out. This one tends to follow the inebriation line a little bit closer. But these songs and these traditions start coming out. The music starts popping out. We start doing the things that... that you can only do when everybody's gathered around together. And, and let me tell you, this is also often the times in which if I have white friends in attendance or friends who, are, who aren't used to our cultural root or experience, right, or only the surface stereotypes of them, I'm going into explanation mode because a whole bunch of cultural shorthands and language changes are happening that you got to just kind of <laughs> hold on to for the ride. So I, I love when you bring all these traditions forward, Luz, because it, it puts me in the mindset of all the other things around just the action that tend to come out when we get together. Um, Don, how, how, what what be happening in this season on your neck of the woods, man? Listening to you, Luz, and, and Hilly talking, you know, my experiences, I can relate to what you're saying, Um um, Anthony, because on my dad's side of the family, that's how everything progressed. That's how it mm. it happened, right? And the same thing, um, when it hit that point where it was going to start getting exciting, you know, it's the it, it's like now the difference between my side of the family when we get together, the the noise level is. <laughs> <laughs> loud and constant. Oh man. Right? Yep. And then when Mars side of the family gets together, it's kind of a murmur, you know, very quiet, um, total different experience that totally I'm different at, experience. Totally different. <laughs> and 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 it takes a while to get used to that because I'm used to being around family where the volume gets turned up. You, there's always one person who regard he can be six inches from your ear and he's still going to holler. Right. I mean, there's always someone, but on, on, on that side of my family, that's how those family get togethers are <clears throat> and will be. And it's, and it progresses exactly how you said, Anthony, it starts off getting together, being, you know, working through those things until we hit that point <laughs> where, you know, stuff that didn't get resolved the last time we were together <laughs> and any new development that happened mm -hmm. in between that time, then those items start to come up. And then that's usually when the kids begin to dispense. Now they're beginning to, you know, they're and 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 the adults are kind of sitting around having those discussions. In terms of food, you know, again, it breaks down on both sides of my family, you know, on my dad's side, I saw more kind of a traditional, if I call it traditional, there were certain foods that, <clears throat> that he made sure came out mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have seen during most of the year. You already mentioned one of them, greens. Mm. The other one was chitlins. And... Greens, chitlins, cornbread, and from my dad, what wrapped that all together was spaghetti. And so 
all these different, to me, different eclectic dishes would be brought together during <laughs> this time of year, right? On my dad's side. Sorry, I'm chuckling now, at the chitlins. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> hey, man, you know, and 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 I, you know, and, and there's a production line behind that because they oh, got to be clean. Goodness, I hated chitlin exactly. production. Line. Well, you know, because oh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We all have to go through that, and and um, <clears throat> so there's that. But then as I start thinking about the other side of my heritage, the native side. I start thinking about the food that mm -hmm. changes that we eat because we've now are transitioning from fall to winter. Mm -hmm. We've um, gathered the rice, right? We've gathered mm -hmm. the wild rice. So now many dishes begin to appear that right. have wild rice in them. Um, the hunt is over. So that wild rice is going to start having venison. It's going to start having deer. It's going to start having these different types of uh, ingredients included with that rice. And as the, as the season continues to change, it will still be augmented by fish because while we can't open fish, we ice fish. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just started thinking about the, the, the different dishes that would begin to show up on the native side not necessarily tied to any particular any particular event that's happening mm -hmm. other than it's that time of year that's the Hunters, season it's the season and so in that regard then you know those things start to happen now when i think about gatherings on you know on on my dad's side and it would be the family gatherings on the native on my mom's side um there weren't i didn't see that many family gatherings right it, it was visits mm. if that makes sense okay so you know you would visit an aunt you would visit your aunties you would visit your cousins um and whenever you visit someone there's going to be food you know, there's going to be that, but it wouldn't be these big, big gatherings um, unless there was something special going on. So it was a time to visit, and it was also a time to hear stories. Yes. This time of year would be the time that selected elders would begin to relay those those stories, those messages, those stories about who we are, where we came from. It would be this time of year that that would happen. So, you know, those were some of the things. Yeah, and, and then, well, you know, don't let me misspeak because we have these certain events that have gatherings. So, so you know, there are times where, where uh, powwows will still happen during this time period. Mm -hmm. that acts as a gathering for the community, right? Now, having said all of that, because we are still going through COVID and we're pretty much on the tail end, there are still some of us, including myself, who have not re-engaged mm -hmm. with the larger community yet. And so I hear, you know, I hear folks talking about 
family gatherings and all that kind of stuff. And we still haven't done that yet. Mm. Um, at least not inside, right? We've had family over, but on days where it's nice enough where everyone can be outside. And so <clears throat> I'm still looking and I'm, I'm still looking forward to being able to have people back in the house. Mm. And, and, um, so this conversation is really turning up some things that I really miss. Yeah, I'm a very social human being and not to be able to get together and with with others on every day is really begin to wear away at me. And um I really miss that human connection. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I have a sister I have a sister who's kind of at the same spot where I'm at, where her and her husband have not re-engaged with everyone because we're trying to protect ourselves from, from um, you know, because we have too many of those additional factors that if we were ever to catch COVID, we're not quite sure how we're, how, what it would do to us. And so to be safe, we, we remove ourselves from those situations, but it's isolating, it's lonely, and not to be able to get together with family like that is is really beginning to wear wear us down. My sister actually mentioned to me that her doctor kind of um, said said something to her that shocked me a little bit, but um, he he mentioned to her that. Um, she should stop living in fear mm. and to get back out there. And she told me that early, um, the end of last week. And that's, yeah, I've been thinking about that. Yeah, I've been thinking. There's, there's a direct connection to what you said, though, Don, and, to, and on that point there, because we went through a year of seeing what happens when some of our, because we, we, we did get together in some, you know, controlled spaces last year. The problem was our. Uh, to your point, many of our elders could not because of the risk factors that were there, and we missed. We felt palpably the there. The, we were. I was excited about the moment where we get where, where it gets to a point where we get stories we may not have never heard or classic stories that certain generations got that others didn't because it gets to that point where the elders begin to tell their stories, and some of them are joyful, some of them are, are hilarious, some of them are really poignant and serious, some of them carry the history of the family in a way that that is is powerful and keeps us going, and we missed that, and and Zoom just wasn't cutting it because you couldn't get to that, that, that heart space. But we also saw the toll it took on some of our elders to not be there, and we know um, you know, and, and from a many different disciplines that, yes, we have to trust, our, you know, in, in our medical directives and the science and what it says. But part of our science also talks about the psychological toll. Right. And keeping spirits up. This is part of part of the research that talks about what happens when you retire and you re and folks go from from working, 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 working. And then in their retirement transition, don't switch gears towards a different purpose. Um there's health decline that's associated with that. So the psychological health has a physiological effect on us and our ability to fight disease and all these other things. And these gatherings are part of our healing space. And how do we navigate when part of that healing mechanism isn't there? 
Yeah, for me, Don, I hear you and I feel you because we've been in my home with my husband and I, we've been uh, really cautious um, and have not done any of the socialization part. And in fact, you know, our oldest daughter wanted to come over for the holidays and we said, you know, we know you're going to be spending time with your boyfriend's family and uh, thanks, but no thanks. Our youngest daughter flew in last minute um, and we said, you've got to wear a mask on your way to the airport during, you know, your time at the airport and on the flight and, and again, coming home, then you got to test. And uh, when you're in our house, you've got to wear a mask in common spaces. I mean, we've been really strict. And as I took this trip, you know, um, a couple of weeks ago internationally, my husband and I wore the N95 mask, which is a higher grade than the KN95, uh, throughout the entire time that we were at the airport um, and the airplane. I mean, one day we wore it for 14 hours straight, you know, um, and we only ate outdoors during our trip. We didn't eat indoors anywhere. And I can tell you, I was, we both were really, really nervous about those steps, but they worked. You know, we were able to, to break free, quite honestly, from this um, very limited set of exposure, right? We hadn't done anything in, in now nearly three years. It'll be three years in January here, just a month from now. Um, and that helped us. So I, I offer that hopefully for, with some grace for you that uh, maybe, you know, you can come up with some guidelines that are comfortable for you and, and your immediate family that will still help you navigate that space um, because it is a really important uh, part of living and and being able to maintain your mental health um, is critical. Uh, so I, I offer that hopefully with some comfort for you that that might be something that you explore. When we talk about mental health, I think we talk about mental health of this time of the year as well, right? It can be very joyful. It could mm-hmm. it could be super stressful. It could put you in weird situations like going from one of my family gatherings to one of my husband's family gatherings. Like you said, Don, it's like opposite because when we're in my house, we're so loud. My mom thinks we're fighting. We're like, oh, we're just talking. And then, you know, when we go to his house, it's all very polite and nice. And I'm just like, oh, I don't know what to do with myself. So, you know, it, it, it can be a very stressful time. And on your mental health, especially for folks who um, may not have family here. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate, mostly because my mom told us none of us were allowed to move away, but that my whole family is here. <laughs> and the and thing, you listened. That's the important part is you actually listened. <laughs> and so, you know, we talk a lot about, oh, getting together with family, eating good food. But the, the truth is, we do that every Sunday for football. Mm. So we see each other every Sunday. We eat real good food every Sunday. And then when it came time for like Thanksgiving, it was like, um, what haven't we done lately? Because we've done everything lately. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, Plus you know, the association <laughs> with the holidays, not the same for your household as it is for, exactly. for others. Like we, we it, it, on, on the Thanksgiving point for us, right? Like, I think back all the time, I ain't get that watered down, inaccurate ass story that um, excuse I did my from language school. here, but uh, I, I didn't get that. 
I got that from school spaces, but yeah. we didn't get that from home family. Home family, it was a re, uh, just any opportunity or reason to get together and eat, we gonna take. And and that was the approach that that that, that we had. And so there's a different association than others may have. Yeah, I don't think my parents really know the story of how Thanksgiving came about or Christmas. Like we do mm. it because it's you know mainstream and it's a reason. Mm. You, you know, a reason to get together, a reason for the kids to do fun activities. Um, you know, I, I shared the story before where my parents' first Thanksgiving here, uh, neighbors left a turkey on their stoop and they were hiding because they're like, what is going on? These white people are bringing, you know, cooked <laughs> turkey, like a fully cooked turkey. And, you Even know, dead animals on the stoop. Exactly. And so, you know, I think that's like for us, that's how it really evolved and why we celebrate a lot of these mainstream holidays. But really, it's it's just for the social, I guess, aspect of it. And because, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's part of the integration that you're trying to do when you move to a new country. Yeah. It's safe for us. We grew up not celebrating it. And when we tried to, quote unquote, assimilate by by bringing that into us, um, there were two attempts to, and this I was really young. Uh, two attempts by my parents to cook the turkey, both of which failed miserably. My dad got food poisoning on one of them, and after the second time, my family was like, "We're never going to have cook, uh, turkey again in our lives," and we didn't. You know, we didn't grow up eating uh, uh, turkey. We grew up eating mole. You know, um, mm-hmm. and 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 made it our own. I do want to make sure that I, I uh, share a, a quick. Um, story about being loud when we gather because that holds true for our communities as well Mm -hmm. over this uh holiday uh that we just went through the last week that you know the colonization of of um you know our our lands here so we you know i almost find it hard to say the word thanksgiving quite honest because i i Mm -hmm. don't uh it just brings up so many negative connotations in my Mm -hmm. mind a friend of mine posted he's puerto rican uh, posted that as he was gathering with his, his family here in Minnesota, um, his smartwatch went off and it said that the loud, uh, and, and the volume in the, his environment exceeded 90 <laughs> decibels and that it was dangerous. And so that ended up being something funny for all of us. It's like, what do you mean? So your smartwatch is telling you you can't be among your family because you're too loud, you know? And it, it you can create, turn that you know, some. Off, man. You gotta turn right. That and then, off. so then the joke became like, is this only with Latino families? Is it, you know, he's Puerto Rican. Is it, you know, uh, so everyone was kind of chiming in and we, we thought that was funny. So it was, it's, not a mainstream moment. <laughs> yeah, I have done. Uh, imagine me times. You know, I have six. Do I have six? No, I have five sisters. Wait, is there? Yes, I have five sisters, and my mom is super just like talkative. Her even more talkative sister was in town with three of her daughters, and imagine all of us in one room together. I literally recorded it like just part of what was happening for my husband to hear because it was so wild. It was like 20 different conversations happening. Everybody is yelling over everybody else. But it was like we were having such a good time. We were catching up with our cousins from California who were, and I mean, they were in town for a re- funeral. 
and everybody retains all the information. Oh, yeah. You don't get credit for that skill in school. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, talking about the, the word Thanksgiving, it was really funny because um, a few years ago, my sisters and I were having a conversation as we were cooking. My sister was like, why do we even celebrate this holiday? Like, you know, it's not a real, like, that's a fake story. We all know the story we were taught in school was fake. It should be like, Native American Day or something. And I was like, oh, tomorrow is Native American Heritage Day. So, you know, even just like learning those little things and having people who have, haven't really ever thought about the reason why we do things really investigate it. And then, you know, trying to, you know, I was really impressed with it. Not that I, I wouldn't like expect it, but just really impressed that they were, um, that we were having this conversation out loud because Conversations about race and, and uh, colonization is not something we do regularly. And so having that conversation on Thanksgiving, it was like, wow, okay, like we're all really on the same page here. You know, Hilly, you're, what you just talked about brought up another reality. And in terms of this time of year and our families getting together and one thing uh, one thing i have noticed is that when my parents generation and a generation before them when they passed on it's now up to my generation to try to continue um some of those traditional family gatherings and they're not happening as often as they used to. So as you were talking about, you know, uh, your cousins coming in from out of town and you get together, well, that kind of happened for us during, um, during the 70s, 80s, and 90s because we had cousins who had relocated outside of Minnesota to California and other places because of the relocation program. Mm. And they would come back mm. to the reservation every year. They'd come back to Minnesota and they would visit with all their relatives. And it was a time for us to get together. Mm -hmm. And well, that's not happening anymore. You know, people have kind of those folks who relocated have since returned to Minnesota. And, but when I start thinking about our family gatherings, it it's more of our of our uh, our extended family, but not including a lot of our cousins mm. and aunts and uncles how it used to. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, and I find myself having to try to create situations where my kids are getting the opportunity to find out who their extended family is right on, mm -hmm. on both sides of the family. And, and so I have noticed that there is a difference in those gatherings. They're smaller, they're a little more nuclear and they're not including as many other family members as they used to. And I miss that. Um, I'm beginning to miss that. And, and, um, the other thing that just kind of dawned on me, no pun intended, is um, <laughs> <laughs> is that 
when we did get together on our families on both sides of family, our house was that gathering place, mm. right? And because we had plenty of room for people to park. We have kind of plenty of room inside that's kind of open, you know, with the dining area, living, living room and all that was kind of open. And so we could get, we could get um, a large group of individuals. We had a finished basement that had a pool table and all, mm. you know, and so the kids could go down there and, right. and raise heck. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, so our house was the gathering house. And we haven't done that in three years. Mm. And you're right, Anthony. You know, uh, that I'm beginning to realize that I really miss that. Mm. I really miss having our family from both sides over to our house. I want to underscore how important this is because all of us come from collectivist communal cultural tradition spaces where the 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 central unit of health was a communal one that's beyond the quote unquote nuclear family. It is all the relations that are connected around uh both fictive and real. Uh, fictive and real. That's the wrong <laughs> dichotomy, but but fictive family folks who are family because of nature of our associations and blood and blood relative. And and when those moments happen, you know, in in, in our cultural tradition space, there's something about the ancestors speaking through all the things that are happening there. Um, the family members or mannerisms you get to see that are shared, right? You get to have and feel a sense of connection to something greater. But I'll never forget, it was my grandma Lois who 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 pulled everybody together to her, her party room at the apartment that she was in, okay? And as she was sitting at, um, as she had brought everybody in, one of the things that, um, one of the things that happened is yet invariably folks begin to tell stories and they begin to tell stories that, you know, that are about, uh, we see generations reminisce and then, you know, the kids get to hear generations reminisce and you get to see patterns of your own experience and behavior coming through. But I remember one time where my grandma felt compelled to come forward and she began to share stories that we had never heard about mm -hmm. growing up in Mississippi and and mm -hmm. and some of the things that happened in and around that time. And it was noticeable that what was just a what not just a but what was a family gathering of space has now become sacred. Because uh, we we are getting a connection to our history, our lineage, our the the beautiful ways in which we've survived white violence in the United States. Like this has become a sacred moment now. Mm -hmm. And and our gatherings can break that way at any given time. And so, you know, one of my wonderings about during this season, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor, but but there's something that happens in these gatherings that becomes sacred. I'm curious about what are some of the experiences you have had during this season or or during gathering space? Because that's the really the, the crux of it is when we gather more so than just this season. Um, what are some of the sacred things that tend to happen Um and, and, and what do they look like, feel like, and sound like? For me, um, and maybe it's it's got a lot to, well, I know it has a lot to do also with just being a grown-up now, but having real conversations with my mom um, about her trauma. And, you know, because as kids, we we were always bumping heads with, with mom. And now that we're all older, we're able to really sit down with her and even over a drink, 
you know, she never would drink in front of us. She would always say, you know, drinking is only for like weddings and stuff like that. And she didn't approve. And now we can sit down for a drink and ask mom questions. Um, and that's something that we were, we never had the opportunity to do before. That that is that's that there is that is an interesting space when you cross into a different yeah responsibility I think my, my level. My sisters have been like, "Mom, I owe you an apology." You know, now that they're <laughs> mothers, <laughs> they and they have the opportunity, and so and really, and it's also like I we try to take the opportunity to apologize for what brats we were now that we're adults, and and they have their own kids, and they see what it's like, you know, and and I think that in of itself helped open that door for our conversations with our mom. That wisdom and and the and the wisdom exchange that comes from there. Um, yeah, I mean, there's stories we, you know, my mom, um, she she eventually, you know, reconciled with my grandmother, and so you know, and but she'd never talk about it, and so now is the time when we're really learning what that relationship was like and how that relationship kind of um, set her up for her relationship with us. So it's really it's really exploring our trauma together as well, and. I'm really thankful for that, even though it's like not happy talk, right? But it, it is allowing you to understand um, the people who came before you and, and what happened and um, how that has, how that all relates to your life now. Mine would be similar to that, you know, with regard to particularly, you know, my grandparents were born in Mexico, my parents were born in Mexico, but uh, myself and my four siblings were born in the States. So we, um, for a period of time, we didn't have our grandparents with us in the United States. Then they immigrated to the United States for a brief period of time. And then they returned back to Mexico to retire. So then we would make the pilgrimage from Chicago down to Northern Mexico to Monterrey to visit. And those stories and sitting with my elders for me as a child, uh, and then into, you know, adulthood subsequently, have always been the most treasured moments because I, first of all, I, I love history, but secondly, being able to hear more about our family in a genealogical sense has always been fascinating to me. And it's that unwritten history uh, passing, right, that that is so um identifiable with our communities for a variety of reasons. Uh, whether we had family who could be, you know, uh, the record keeper, you know, if they mm -hmm. had, if, if they were literate, sometimes they weren't uh, literate because of the systemic um, barriers in their home countries and, and economic barriers accompanying that, that they wouldn't be able to go to school and, and become literate. So, so much of that oral history that gets passed down from generation uh, that's identifiable, I'll speak for, for my family in particular, is so valuable. Um, and th those, those are the moments that I hear, that I hold closest to my heart, is listening to the storytelling from my elders. Uh, and as I say that, I'm now finding myself kind of in a similar place <laughs> with me now <laughs> sharing stories with younger folks in, in my family, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I don't necessarily consider myself an elder in particular, but maybe the younger folks are starting to see me that way. And I have to adjust, you know, my own mindset on that. And I, I don't certainly have the same 
you know, uh, long um, bandwidth that in comparison to my grandparents or my aunts uh, or uncles. But yeah, that to me is is rich, and that's and that happens year round. It's not unique to this time. Uh, being able to spend time with elders uh, and hold them in the highest regard and learn from them, you know, and and really hoping then that I can retain some of that so I can pass it on to not only my daughters, but, um, you know, their cousins and, and other family members as well. You know, that I think you offer for the pieces of your own experiences that you've shared from the food to the what we do um, to kind of these, these ins and outs and things that we've had to endure during this season of having to experience um, the, the pandemic. And I think one thing that we all share is that, when we gather, sacred, amazing things happen. And they may not happen according to to what mainstream folks often will see and say. I, I imagine being a fly on the wall on all the places that you shared, and I might need you as a guide in order to understand how important and essential a thing is. And oftentimes it's when we gather that we realize how sacred these moments are, especially as we start thinking about the elders who are going to become ancestors soon for us. These are the moments that we can gather and maintain those cultural roots that keep us and remind us that, you know, without our roots, you know, a tree cannot thrive. And so I, I'll leave you I'll leave you with this. And it's something to think about as we move forward into this season. Um and that is there was a time in which each of us on this call would not be able to gather freely. Some of us more recent than others. But there are times in which we were not allowed to gather. And what was attempted to be interrupted, I think, was a very purposeful thing. For when we gather in the midst of there, we actually find the strength that allows us, one, to, to survive and thrive in the midst of violence all around us, but I would also offer that it's in those gatherings that you find the strength to overturn that which does not serve us. And that to some can be a very scary thing. I got myself all choked up. Um, <clears throat> I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I've shared are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. And I'm Don Eubanks, Associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers, and Counter Stories producer. This has been Counter Stories a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.